<laughs> Welcome to Dev and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Rustrak. I'm here with two special guests today, Dr. Allen and Miss Harriet. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having us. We're super excited. So, yes, we are. We're very excited to be here. I'm always excited to have authors on the show. And we have The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. So I love the self-help, motivational, positive energy type books. So what led you both to write this? Well, let, let, let me start back in, in, in history so that we could help you a little <laughs> bit with that. My journey in this started way back in 2003. In 2003, I was walking with my wife in Disneyland and my youngest daughter. And as I was walking, my wife turned to me. It was late in the day. It was hot. It was sticky. She said, what's wrong with you? Well, I was taken aback. I hadn't said anything wrong. I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't even thunk anything wrong. But she said, what's wrong with you? So I asked her, what do you mean? She said, listen to your foot. Well, what kind of a statement is that? Listen to your foot. So I said, what do you mean again? And she said, your foot, it's flapping. Well, again, I didn't know what she was saying. So I listened to my foot and my foot had mysteriously and suddenly developed a foot drop. My right foot was flapping on the pavement. With every step I was taking, it just wasn't lifting up. So there was something wrong and I had no idea what it was. My wife persisted. She said, did you have a stroke? I said, dear, that's not how a stroke presents. If it was a stroke, I'd be lying on the ground right now. She said, well, there's something wrong. When we get back, you better get it checked out. So being a good guy, I said, okay, dear, I'll get it checked out. So when I got back to Canada, I had every test known to me. I had CAT scans. I had brain scans. I even had scan scans. And you know what they showed at the end of the day? What? absolutely nothing. There was nothing wrong on any of those tests. So you know what that does? That means you get more tests right. and more tests and more tests. I had even tests that weren't even invented yet. They weren't even there yet. So at the end of the day, I ended at the doorstep of a world-leading neurologist. He had all the answers. These are the brain guys. They have all the answers to the puzzles. And I walked in and he said, Dr. Leica? I said, yes. He said, you better be sitting down when I'm telling you this. I said, what do you mean? I have a drop right foot. He said, no, you don't. You have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Get your affairs in order. In six months, you're going to be dead. Wow, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, is there a way to prove this? He said, of course, on autopsy. You know, that's when they take your dead body and look for all the pieces. And I said to him, well, I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. <laughs> so that began the start of my journey. You know, when you're in a situation like this, you go through a grief reaction. Mm -hmm. You go through a period of time when you know you're dying and you go through this grief reaction where you go through the phases that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote in her book on death and dying. And you go through anger. Anger is one of the primary things because that's the way we primitive people respond to everything. We respond to being chased by a dinosaur by anger. We respond by the fight, flight, fright reaction. So that's part of it. But you also go through other emotional things. You go through bargaining. 
oh God, please don't let this happen. I'll do anything if you don't let this happen. You go through a phase when you go through denial, saying, no, there's nothing wrong. I can do anything. He's all wrong. But you know in your heart of hearts, there is something wrong. You just don't know what it is. And then you go through depression. Depression is the worst thing because that's where you can't move a muscle. You stay in bed all day. You mope. You cry. You know that there's nothing you can do. But you know, I knew there was something wrong with this diagnosis. I'm a doctor. I'm a medical doctor. And as a doctor, I know other doctors make mistakes. You know, I'm a super specialized dermatologist. And every day when I was practicing, I'd have people come in to me with the wrong diagnosis. They'd be treated with years for the wrong diagnosis. And it was my job to put it together. And I knew out there, there was somebody that had the answer to my puzzle. And it wasn't ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. So back in 2003, something new was invented. You might have heard about it. It's called the internet. You ever heard of that beast? Oh, no, I haven't heard about that at all. <laughs> well, let me inform you. It's one of those new things that really is going to make a difference with the world. Okay. Uh, and back in 2003, it was primitive. It was so primitive. We used to have to use a dial-on connection where your phone used to ring into a center and it would go for about 15 minutes before it would connect. And you didn't even know you were connected. And finally, when you got on, you had to respond to it with a primitive language called DOS because our computers had so little memory back then, you couldn't talk to it. You couldn't speak to it. You'd had no Siri to help guide you to it. And you had no Dr. Google to help you with your diagnosis, you know? So I had some friends that were nerds. Thank God they, I, I had them because they helped me check things out. And I looked up every disease that looked like ALS, but was not ALS. And lo and behold, I found a doctor in Colorado Springs, doctor in Colorado. The doctor's name was Dr. David Martz. And he had gone through exactly what I had. He had the same symptoms, but he got worse much more rapidly until he was on his deathbed. Now, that doctor was uh, so well-known. Many, many other doctors were coming to say goodbye to him. And one doctor came up from Texas and he looked at David and he said, you know, David, there's something wrong with this picture. And David was so weak, he whispered and he says, well, what do I have? The doctor said, I think you have chronic Lyme's disease. I think you were bitten by a tick. And that tick is leaving the same symptoms of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, but it's not that. Well, David said, what do I do? And the doctor said, well, you really don't have to do anything, but I'm going to start you on some treatments for chronic Lyme's disease. And if I'm right, you're going to get miraculously better. And you know what happened? He got better. He was like Lazarus. He arose from the dead. Within one week, he was back to totally normal. Wow, I said. This doctor knows some answers that I need to know. 
So I started phoning all the hospitals in Colorado Springs, Colorado. You see, a doctor can get in touch with any other doctor he wants to. He just has to phone the hospitals, introduce himself, and they'll ring him. And I got in touch with David Martz at the Methodist Hospital down in Colorado Springs. And you know what happened? He and I talked for hours. And he said, can you come down and see me? And I said, when, David? He said, right now. Why waste time? I said, David, I can't. He said, why? I said, well, my wife is throwing a little party. It's Thanksgiving up here in Canada, and I've got over 50 people coming over. He said, well, I'm sure your wife can handle it. So I go to my wife. I tell her I'm not going to be there. She said, of course you must go. If something's going to help you, you must go. So I got on a plane. I got on a plane from Edmonton to Denver. It was a great flight. Then I got on a plane from Denver to Colorado Springs. It was one of the worst planes I'd ever been on. You see, late in the day, the air comes off the desert and it rises, but it causes something called eddies. And those eddies cause the, cause the plane to drop. And it dropped over and over and over again. It was like the drop of doom at Disneyland times 15, times 20. And it was absolutely terrible. So when I got off it, I crawled off that plane and there was David on the tarmac to meet me. You know, it was 2003. We didn't have this high security we do now. Right. And let's go talk. And we talked. And David said, you know, I founded a clinic where I've been treating 2,000 people just like you and I for this disease called chronic Lyme disease. And I think I can make you better. And I said, what do I have to lose? And since that time, I was able to become and maintain my status as one of the best cosmetic doctors in the world for over 30 years till I walked away last year in order to pursue other tasks. And one of the tasks is to help others live a fantastic life like I've done. And along the way, I met Harriet Tinka. And I want you to hear her story as well, because her story is, although different from mine, quite illuminating. Well, your story in itself is illuminating. Yeah. I love to hear Harriet's. Oh, you bet, Melissa. So my story, uh, uh, even today, is still surreal for me to believe that I'm a domestic violence survivor. So here I was, an international model, walking the runways, full of confidence, yet I was a victim of a stalker. So my story begins when I just retired from the modeling industry. I decided to go pursue a formal education. So I enrolled in the university and that's where I met a fellow student. And we became friends, but little did I know his attraction to me was like a psychological trap that, that was later on gonna become deadly. Mm -hmm. And I was a victim. I was, you know, your victim of uh, domestic violence. I was young, I was naive, and I had no idea the signs of an abusive relationship but yet I was vulnerable enough to trust him. So we became friends and would spend time together. And every so often he would yell and scream and he would hit me, mm -hmm. but then he would apologize. So I accepted his apology and life went on. And it became a pattern. He would hit me all the time. Then he started stalking me and it became so scary that I decided to go call, talk to the police. The police advised me to get a, a a restraining order 
Yeah. And if, in case for your audience don't know, that's a document you get so other people can't come near you. So I got the restraining order and I was, I was quite happy because I knew this, this was the end of all. It would never come near me. Anyway, one evening I was busy studying for my, for my uh, exam. I, and then I looked at the time, it was late at night. So I thought, oh, I better go, go home and, re- and get some rest. So I, and the university was only five minutes away from me. So I went, got into the elevator. I was busy looking for my keys. I couldn't find them. And then in the back of the elevator, I felt somebody grab me by the neck and squeeze it really hard. And in the back, it was him. And he said, you thought you could escape me. How dare you put this restraining order against me? You, you know that I'm the only man that will ever love you. I love you more than anybody. And when he said that, I was screaming and he got scared that I was screaming. So he took his shoes off, took his socks off and stuffed it in my mouth so that I could be quiet to silence me. And he grabbed me out of the elevator and pushed me into his vehicle, hit me in the car and we started driving off. So as we were driving, he was yelling, he was screaming and telling me how dare I do this to him. And he was so abusive. And as we were driving, we ran into a telephone booth and he looked at the telephone booth and he looked at me and he said, Harriet, you need to get out of the car and go call your parents and say goodbye to them because this will be the very last time they'll ever hear from you. And I looked at him and I said, no. And that made him really upset, really angry. So he said, okay, Harriet, I'm going to ask you one more time. I need you to get out of the car and go call your parents. Because in the back of the car, I have a rope, I have a knife and gasoline. I am going to take your body and wrap it up, cut your body in pieces and put gasoline on it. Now, are you going to go call your parents? I looked at him again and I said, no. And that second no made him even more aggressive and angry. So he reached over into the glove compartment, took out a knife and he stabbed me two times on my left leg. So at that point, there was blood gushing everywhere. Now, even today, I have absolutely no idea how I got from where I was to the hospital. So when I woke up, there I was, the doctor was there, my father was there, and in the waiting room, there was media and and more police there. Mm -hmm. So the doctor told my father that I'll be lucky if I ever walk again. And if I do walk again, maybe it'll take years to be able to walk again. So when I had the news, I was so depressed. Here I was an international model walking the runways full of confidence. And now I was a cripple and I was depressed. So I started asking myself, why me? You know, go through those questions. Why me? How how could it happen to me? I'm a wonderful person. You know, you try to find answers, but they're not there. So I knew I had to start healing no matter what. So I started getting my physiotherapy. So it was in the waiting room that I was there feeling sorry for myself and waiting for the nurse to call me for my physio. And a little girl came wheeling in with a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And on a wheelchair, I mean, and she looked at me. She had so much energy and so full of joy. And I was in a moment where I just didn't want to talk to anybody. Anyway, she started talking to me. I got a little bit irritated. She asked me what, why I was there. So eventually I had to share my story, but I shared in a way that a nine-year-old would understand. So when, when I looked at her, she had these big eyes and she, she told me, wow, you need to use your story to inspire 
the world with your story. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where she was coming from, like a nine-year-old, where'd she get this wisdom? So as I got to know her, her family really spoke about stories and inspiring other people. And her story was she had been in a car accident and now she had lost, it was a drunk driver. So she was motherless, fatherless and homeless. Yet she had so much passion for life. She had so much gratitude. And she told me that she was just happy that she was alive. So when I heard her say that, I thought my story was nothing compared to her. But life is not about comparing stories. Correct. It's about what you do with what you have. So when I had that, I, it took me a long time to recover and get, get through it. And life is about connecting the dots. So at that point, I didn't know what she meant by go out there and share your story. So it was later on that I realized what exactly she was talking about. So now I'm using my story to make a difference in the world. And they used my story, and that's how I met Dr. Laika. He was, uh, he, he was uh, actually sponsoring an event called the YWCA Women of Distinction. Mm-hmm. And this event was really recognizing women in the community who had done something to impact the world. Some were trailblazers, there was astronauts, there was scientists. And the category that, was un- that I was under was called the turning point. And turning point was what you've done with your life to make a difference in the world. And there was about 15 women and I was the lucky person to win the award. Wonderful. And I was excited because Dr. Laika was actually the philanthropist that sponsored this event. So that's how I met. After the event, I was excited to meet Dr. Laika. So we met, we talked, we sh- I, I bought him lunch. I like to remind him that. <laughs> I took him out for lunch. <laughs> and uh, during our conversation, he shared his story and I shared my story in detail. And we had that aha moment, perhaps we should go out there and write a book. And that was four years ago. So that's how we started writing the, the book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. And here we are today. And I'm just going to interject just for one second there, because that's how the book started. And we figured that we would continue writing the book over lunches. And every chapter in this book has dialogue between Harriet and I, just like we wrote the book. So all we did was meet several more times, come up with something called golden pearls that were commonalities in our existence. And those golden pearls led us to write 13 chapters as a result of this. That is wonderful. I I have similarity to both of you, actually. Oh, (laughs) wow. Tell us, tell us, tell us. Okay, so 2011, I'm a manager at a restaurant. I started getting sick. No test upon test. I spent six months in the hospital having tests done. No one could figure it out. So they do a brain scan, finally. Oh my God, you have to be transported to a new facility. You need immediate surgery or you're going to die. Oh my goodness. Wow. So they take me to the next hospital via a helicopter and the surgeon comes in. Oh, you're fine. I see 200 of these cases a year. I'm going to go on vacation. You'll be fine. Oh. Three days later, I have a stroke. I'm 28 years old. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so I have my surgery two weeks after that. They take out the AVM, which is an arterial venous malformation. While they're taking it out, I have another stroke on the table. Oh, my, oh my God. God. 
So I wake up half blind. I have no vision in the side. I couldn't move my right side at all. Could I was talking Romanian. Oh. And, yeah. I'm not from Romania. I was, was going to ask. Oh. No, it's you know, something that. called foreign accent syndrome. Um, 64th person since 1908 or something like that. My daughter knows the statistics better than I do. But I'm being told I'm never going to see again never have use of my right side again, never walk again. And basically I'm going to be a vegetable and these people take care of me. So what do you do? You get depressed. Then you get angry. Then you get mm -hmm. all these emotions. Mm -hmm. 2013, I walked down the aisle getting married without a cane. Oh, wow. Because Congratulations. I, no, this is not my life. I'm meant for better. Well, the same person I married was also my abuser. Oh. Yeah. So I accredit him for helping me get better because if it wasn't for his outbursts and yelling and the screaming, I wouldn't have gotten out of the wheelchair. I wouldn't have pushed myself past the pain of learning how to use muscles by using my sight rather than feeling. Oh my. So I do oh that. Everything I do with my right side is because I have learned to watch what I'm doing. If I don't watch my appendages, I don't feel it. So I can run into a wall, <laughs> burn myself. Oh, okay. I don't have feeling. So I'm going. Oh, a miracle. Yeah. Wow. I know, right? So I wow. inspire people like bringing people like you guys onto the show, especially to motivate people. You don't mm -hmm. have to be stuck in one setting. You can elevate yourself either by education or just changing your mindset. Yes, and I'm gonna put in the magic words we say over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. It was invented not by us, but somebody by the name of Epictetus back in around 2000 years ago. Now, Epictetus was a Greek, and he said, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. Mm -hmm. It's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. Now, those are magic words, because those are the words that save you from everything. Mm -hmm. No matter what, you can do something with it. It's COVID times, terrible times. There's people dying everywhere. There's massive unemployment in your country and ours. And there's massive amounts of people that are having difficulties right now. But remember, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. Here we're talking millions of miles away, thousands of miles away. And we're talking about bringing people up and making have better lives. You know, this COVID time is a cloud with a silver lining. It it's is. a time when people can reinvent themselves. It's a time when people can really take their life and make it better and be the best version of you. Like Harriet says, from magic, to, from tragic to magic. Magic, yes. From tragic to magic. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's very... I say that all the time. COVID is a blessing in itself in certain ways. If we look past the negative and just concentrate on the positive, we have time with our families that we have been screaming for for years. We have time to 
invent new companies. I'm going from an LLC to a C Corp if I ever get the contract signed. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just one thing after another, but it's going, you have to look at, okay, you can't stand still. You can't just elevate yourself watching TV all day. What are you going to do to improve your life? If you just sit around and complain all day long, all you're doing is putting yourself in a depression. All you're doing mm -hmm. is sitting there breeding anger. Why me? Why can't I do this? I have dreams to do this. Well, what are you doing to work towards your dreams? Are they short-term dreams? Are they long-term dreams? You know, Harriet and I have written this amazing book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. And I don't say that to brag. I'm saying this because of the critical acclaim we've had in the last, since it's come out, we've had a hundred reviews on it that have all said the same thing. And, and the thing about this is I wrote that while I'm maximally busy. Harriet wrote this while she's maximally busy. We actually wrote a book called 20 Golden Pearls. And the problem is people said, that's too many golden pearls. Please give us your best ones because it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. Let's, let's comb this down a bit. So we have a second book in the works. And at the same time, Harriet and I were asked to write a book with Jack Canfield called The Pillars of Success, which is going to be out in August or September. It's been delayed a little bit because of the COVID out there, but it's going to come out very, very soon. And so we're also writing a, a book on the secrets of having a fantastic business life. So businesses can profit in the storm as well. So we're in the, and how do we have time for this? The answer is it doesn't take much time to do the right thing. The hardest thing about writing is putting your, your seat firmly on the seat of a chair and writing some words and, and putting them down and then rewriting them so that they're better and rewriting them so they're better. The hardest thing about writing is writing. And if you spend just 20 minutes a day writing, you can have a book written in as little as 10 days, believe it or not. Oh, I do um, nano every year. My second book I wrote in 30 days. Oh, wow. And that's a 80,000 word book. It's a novel. It's fantasy. But I wrote it in 30 days because what do you do? You sit down at a desk in a mm -hmm. chair, just look at the computer screen and write. And there you go. You have a book. <laughs> Yeah. Now, it doesn't have to be the best book on your first writing. The hardest thing about writing is rewriting. Mm -hmm. and, and one smart author once said, writing a book is easy. All you have to do is slit your wrists and bleed. And it's true <laughs> because you're putting yourself on that piece of paper and making yourself come out. Isn't that right, Harriet? <laughs> it's being vulnerable. I agree. I agree with that. I find the worst part of writing is the editing going back to reread what you write because now you have to go what was i thinking when i wrote this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i think it's good it's good because me and dr Leica were writing together so sometimes i see a different perspective and i see another perspective and we talk about what exactly we mean so i think having two people write the book is actually really it's it's valuable and it's, it keeps it keeps us both accountable and at the same time, it's good to have a good editor as well, because our book, The Secrets of Living Fantastic Life, went through 15 edits before it became something we were proud of. And it almost did not come about. Did you want to hear how it almost did not come about? Please. 
Oh dear, this is something that's embarrassing. So I hate sharing this one, but I can it's laugh about it now. Yeah. You know, I got back from Harvard. I was giving a lecture from Harvard and I got back from Harvard just after I was uh, in Thailand for three weeks. So I was jet lagged and I was tired. So I got to my car, I was going to my office that day and I put my briefcase with my computer behind it and then the phone rang. And so I went in the house, went inside, answered the phone, then I got in my car and I drove over my briefcase with my computer in it and destroyed the hard drive. Yes, so all me. the chapters in that book were destroyed, all of them. Now, thank goodness it's 2020. Mm -hmm. And we have this little thing called the cloud because a lot of the chapters were saved there. And thank goodness I had a co-author because then I started writing Harriet. And tell her what, I, what, what, what you heard from me. <laughs> Oh, he kept asking me, do you have chapter 10 on vulnerability? Do you have this chapter on forgiveness? Do you have one on purpose? And I started being a little bit suspicious because <laughs> the book was pretty much done. How come you don't have these chapters? So finally, he, the truth came out. <laughs> but you know, the good thing about this, Melissa, is the book got better as a result of it. it because we had to take every word and look at it again and look at it with a microscope, and look at it again, and look at it from a different point of view. And that's how you make a book better, is because you, you really reanalyze it. You think of better words than the words you had there. That is the whole process of being an author. When you go through your book, there's so many stages of being an author, but it comes down to you write it, you read it, you hate it, <laughs> then you rewrite it and that gets better <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's the thing about there's no such thing as good writing did you know that melissa there's only good rewriting mm -hmm. yes yeah. it is so wonderful to have both of you on the show to inspire everyone where can our listeners and our viewers find you before we do that i want to give something to your guests can i do that because I think your guests need something to help them in this wonderful time uh, to get better. Please. And I'm going to suggest that we give them 52 golden pearls. Would they like that, Melissa? Oh, they would love that. Okay, and I'm going to give them to them entirely for free. And all they have to do is text us. All they have to do is text the word golden pearls, pearls with an S, to one eight one nine. 1-819-717-2515. 1-819-717-2515. The word golden pearls. And Harriet and I will send him one golden pearl a week for the next 52 weeks. That is wonderful for our listeners. That is, thank you. Well, it's something we thought, how can we make everybody's life a better life? And this is one of the simple ways of doing that. Mm -hmm. And if they would like to get in touch with me, all they have to do is go to Dr. D.R. Allen, A-L-L-E-N, Lyka, L-Y-C-K-A, dot com. Dr. Allen dot com. And you'll find all the information about our book there, all the information about Harriet and I there, all the information of how you, everybody can have a fantastic life. Or they can write me at Allen, A-L-L-E-N, at com, 
And also, Harriet has a special way to meet, reach her too. Yeah, same. You can reach me through Dr. Leica as well, or also to empoweredme.ca. So just empoweredme.ca. Wonderful. I thank you both so much for being on the show today. It was wonderful getting to talk to you and finding so many likenesses. And I'm going to have to actually read the books. <laughs> and, and Melissa, can you do us a favor? Could you um, come on our show as well? We have the Secrets of Living a Fantastic Life uh, podcast, and my girl will reach out to you. And if you would like Harriet or I back by ourselves, one each, mm -hmm. because I think different parts of our story will help your audiences in different ways. So if you had us back as individual guests, it'll even make it better for them. I would love to have both options. Yes, so yeah. <laughs> we'll have uh, my girl Tammy get in touch with you and we will get this going because I think we would love your audience to explore everything about having a fantastic life. Now the book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life is on Amazon.com and Amazon.ca and I'd love everybody to get there. Now our Kindle edition will be up very soon and it's only gonna be 99 cents for anybody. So if anybody can't afford it, well 99 cents is practically nothing. Mm -hmm. Exactly, okay. I, I love my yeah. Kindle editions because they're, they're not expensive but they hold so many truths that we need as a human race. And mm -hmm. we're okay. going to send you a copy of the book there so that you can read it and love it like so many others. And it will be coming shortly. Tammy will get that arranged for you. Uh, and I'll be writing her right after the show. Tammy's one of the fifth, the seventh wonders of the world. And <laughs> she'll help you get this. <laughs> I like that description. It is true. Too. <laughs> Thank you yeah. both so much. It was a pleasure, and I look forward to talking to both of you again. Oh, and Melissa, it was our pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for what you keep doing. And have a wonderful, wonderful day, and everyone out there, happy reading. Bye for now. Bye for now. Bye.